Hello, and welcome to the Go Take Pictures podcast, where we spend time getting to know people who've decided to use photography to communicate in powerful ways. And the question I want to ask, how do they balance making art with being a real person? How does photography fit into their family, their job, struggles, and everyday life? At the end of the conversation, I'm hoping to know where the art comes from and then share that with you. My guest on this episode is Brian Bear Butler, a filmmaker, wildlife, and nature photographer who lives on the road in a converted school bus camper van. We talked about how he went from growing up in the Chicago area to being a full-time mechanic to spending all of his free time photographing birds to living on the road and filming projects about things as diverse as big game hunting and tiny home living. I think you're going to love the range of this conversation. Well, Brian, I am really appreciative of you taking the time to to meet and have a conversation with me. This is uh, quite a treat because you are not sitting in a normal um, office or kitchen or any place like that. You're actually remote in your home, which is not a house. No, it's like a, who, everyone should guess. It has four windows. It's four windows long and it has a door. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> it's a school bus. <laughs> Sweet. I live um, in a school bus. Very cool. So the, um, yeah, I guess before we get any further, I would love for you to, uh, tell us about yourself. Um, for anybody who's not familiar with, with your, with your work and, and your life, Tell us about yourself, uh, where you're from, um, that sort of thing, and, and, and what you do um, as you're driving around in this mobile uh, school bus home. All right. So well, I'm from Chicago, Illinois, and a, a big part of me kind of starting this whole journey was, shockingly, to, to become a wildlife photographer for National Geographic, which is like it's most people's dreams, right? Hey, but in my mind, there's a lot. And in my mind, I was like, well, I'm going to do it while living in a van or whatever. So that way I can be in certain spots in those certain seasons and just have like this head start, you know, above everyone else. And, um, but that, that, that idea started three years even before I hit the road. And shockingly, Illinois has quite a bit of wildlife, um, Mm -hmm. especially in the Chicagoland area. We have lots of forest preserves. And in those forest preserves, we have fox, coyote, bobcats. We got owls. We have the barred owls and the great horn owls. Um, obviously, we got deer everywhere. And even in northern Illinois, we got bears up there. Nice. We even had mountain lions uh, oh, sightings wow. in the suburbs. Like, there's animals <laughs> everywhere. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, so that kind of like, that actually started off by this this woman called, uh, what's her name? Tina Smith. She, um Right when I got my camera, I started photography. Actually, what's today? Today's the eighth or ninth. Um, today is the ninth, I think. Ninth. So, like in a few more days, it'll be four years. I'd be doing photography. And, tenth, actually. Oh, dang! It's already tenth. Yeah. So in four more yeah. days, it would have been. It would be four years. I've been doing photography. And uh, when I first started, I was like, "What am I going to photograph? Like, I don't know, like what I want to photograph right now." And then uh, Tina popped up on my Instagram, and she had these photos of coyotes that look so insanely good i was like whoa like what coyotes like what is that it's like a little baby wolf basically and um that right there just like i got the bug right away i was like i need to find these things and that's the attraction to it is like they're so elusive and when you find them you get this great sense of like accomplishment you're like wow i found like the wily coyote like (laughs) and they've been called like shapeshifters you know by native americans and stuff so like they're they're not easy to spot um 
but she had a really great spot to go photograph them. And it was at this place called Fermilab. And it's okay. a particle accelerator that is about 50 miles outside of Chicago. Oh. Yep. And um, to get in, you have to go to this. There's two entrances. And to get in, you have to stop at a guard station. You have to show me your ID and tell them why you're there. And you can okay. go there to like bike ride. You can go use the dog park. You can just say you're there to go hiking. And I would yeah. just be like, I'm here to, you know, go hiking. And even though I had a camera with me, I just made it very easy. Right. Um, but then it turned into me going there almost every single day for three <laughs> years straight. Nice. I'm, not, I'm not even exaggerating. If you looked at my hard drive, it's just it's January through December, almost every single day. So no matter at some what. point when they ask you, you just say, I live here. Event- eventually they were just like, hi, Brian. Go right ahead. <laughs> just turned into that after it. a while. And um, I just spent so much time there that I knew where like raccoons lived. And I knew when they would come out. I knew mm-hmm. where the owls lived. I knew exactly what trees they were in. I knew every single, I knew one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. I knew 10 different coyotes there. All, wow. And I have given them all little names because they all have their own little thing. Yeah. And I've watched them you know, uh, rear young. And then those young rear other young throughout the years, it's like, wow, I'm like seeing this entire lineage of like these coyotes, like their families, basically. That's pretty special. It's super special. And, and intermingled in this, um, in this 1200 acre preserve, which they, they wanted to make it look like what Illinois looked like thousands of years ago. And it does, um, they have a herd of bison there. So it's like a mini Yellowstone basically (laughs) in the middle of the Chicago suburbs. And I would get shots of like coyote walking into the bison pen and walking right next to the bison and just getting cool shots like that. And then next thing you know, there's an owl flying around. You're like, what is this place? Like, it's just, this is something you would never expect in the Chicago area. Never. ever. And so the, and the reason why they have this big preserve is because the particle, how do you have any, do you know any of the technical specs about why? I uh, know, but I, like, do you know, like there's basic stuff about how they, yeah, the, the basically the way they work is it's this big giant long tube. Yes, that goes in a big ring. Right, and it's important that they keep everything in the middle. Yeah, that there's no disruptions. That right. it's everything's pretty calm, and what they're and they're just blasting electrons around the outside of that yes. thing. Yes, and they send the speeds. they send neutrinos to different states um, yeah. through the ground, which is nuts. And Tina, she's on the board there, so she has this oh, wow. like she has this pass where she can take me into restricted areas mm-hmm. where like only like she and a few other people like really go to photograph animals. And, um, she takes me to the cooling ponds and in the yeah. cooling ponds, you're going to find like, um, I can't remember some of the names of them, but like egrets, um, great blue herons, the, yeah. uh, the night crown heron or whatever, the green heron, like all sorts of crazy birds are there. Bald eagles, offspring are there. Um, short-eared owls show up there in the wintertime northern harriers show up like it's a crazy place and they have lakes too so when the ice freezes over you just get coyotes running across the lakes and it's kind of funny what happens when you set aside land and let animals do their thing it's the most natural (laughs) thing i've ever seen and like from i love it and like so like let's fast forward through there like three years go by and i just like that's where i cut my teeth with photography and i got really good at it and it's funny nowadays, like I'm actually not that good at photography anymore. Like I, like, I, I just throw it into like AV and I just like put it, my ice on auto. I'm like, all right, whatever, just taking shots of stuff. We get out of practice. We really do. And it's because I started doing more video mm-hmm. and now my video strength is just as strong as my, 
uh, photo strength was like a year ago, basically. So at my end of my little stint at Fermilab there, I guess you can call it, um, I decided to take off on the road and I did it in a camper in a truck for about five months and that failed miserably. <laughs> oh, yeah. It just cost so much money. Um, so I came home, retooled, and I got into my Honda Element and that's when I was like, all right, I'm doing it. I'm going to go be a wildlife photographer. So I get yeah. my car and I just take off and I just start wandering around the country and I realized how hard it is. I was like, yeah. oh no, this is not Fermilab anymore. <laughs> like I actually have to know migration patterns and like I need to know habitat. I need to know how to read the land. I need to know why an animal would even be where it's going to be. Right. And that's exactly. when I was like kind of overwhelmed almost. I was like, oh no, like what am I, what have I done? <laughs> what did I get myself into? <laughs> Seriously. Um, so like that, I, that went on for a little while, for about a year. And I would travel in and out of different national parks, like the Tetons, Big Bend. I actually photographed a black bear in Big Bend, which was really cool. Um, and just like photograph a few other things just around the Tetons, a lot of bears again, and, um, some coyotes over there too. But that's when it kind of hit me like, like now is not the time really to pursue this thing. And, and then I got offered this bus because I also found a job in the meantime at tiny home tours on YouTube. Okay. And that's like, ultimately, I love this. You're connecting it all together. Yeah. So like, I mean, I've been following you for here, you know, a little while. Right. Um, our mutual friend, Sarah Williams, yes, who I interviewed uh, this last summer mm -hmm. and who, who I've had a chance to go out and hang out with and shoot with a few times. She says, you you got to meet Brian. Like, this is, this is a guy <laughs> you got to know. And so I've been following not for that long, but it's great kind of seeing your story kind of uh, unravel in. I'm, I'm catching bits and pieces as I'm yeah. following you along in the world. But yeah, so tiny home tours. Yeah, so that's that's kind of like um, the catalyst to this bus right now. And this bus actually belongs to Tiny Home Tours. It's not even my bus. Okay. Um, but just from the person that I am, like, I kind of take everything, like, like, as soon as someone gives me a responsibility, I take it very seriously. And I turned this Tiny Home job into more of, like, a full-time job, which it wasn't really supposed to be. <laughs> but... <laughs> Like I, I Love just, it. I enjoyed it so much cause it gave me, cause I didn't really have like a really good job at the time. I was podcast editing. I didn't have like a ton of clients and it wasn't really my, my lane. I didn't really enjoy it. Um, but like doing shooting video and just traveling aimlessly was like, it was just life to me. Like, that's just what I needed to do. And then tiny homes just popped in and that gave me the chance to travel anywhere in the country and make money at the same time. So now in my mind, I'm like, cool, I got this job where I can just go meet other people and film their rigs, but at the same time do wildlife photography. And then the more I was doing that, the more I learned, I actually really, really, really love video, like quite a bit. Because um, you're just, you're basically taking thousands of pictures instead of just one or two pictures. And yeah. I, I learned the love of telling a story for the most part through video when when I was doing photography, I was always looking for the humanity in the animal. So that way people can connect with it. Like, Oh, they're not that different from us. And right. now I'm finding myself trying to connect humanity with humanity. Um, hmm, in, the like in the sense of like, we're out here like living in vans and buses and cars. My friend here lives in an A-liner that she pulls with her Subaru. You know, like we all live these, these esoteric lives and some people frown upon it. So now I have this like, purpose of filming all these tiny homes and getting these stories from all these people to, and, and and showing all these other folks that live in homes in big cities like 
we're no different. Like we have to pay bills, you know, we have to eat, we have to, you know, drink water and like, we all have the same problems. And like, I've filmed families of six that live in school, but in like a full size bus that's raised roof and it's a full house basically. Like, right. It's so I'm trying to like parallel all these things together and, and tiny home tours has really given me opportunity for that. And, um, and even through that, like, as we, as you mentioned in the podcast before this, like, um, that job where I went to the Tetons to film that goat culling. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, even just a few days after the podcast, uh, Keith and I were talking about it cause I sent him a link and said, you okay. can check this out. And I think my, my first reaction, you sent me the link and, and I watched it and I think I basically texted you and said, I have lots of questions. <laughs> well, hey, let's, let's get them answered. While <laughs> exactly. <we're here. laughs> I, I, I had to, I had to know, like, how are you, it's, it's kind of, um, being somebody who, who does some backpacking and camping and, and, and has also, uh, grown up hunting when I was watching, I was thinking how I'm looking at some of the shots and I'm thinking he's got to have like a super long lens to be pulling some of these off. And I was also, you know, there's certain parts where I was kind of piecing together how the editing worked and I'm like, okay, that didn't chronologically go here. These are edited in a certain way. But it was really cool because I got a sense of, of being embedded, you know, being totally part of everything. Like you, you fell away. I, I didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't quite like a lot of the, the current YouTube stuff where people are always in their own videos that they're, they're shooting. This was really different and it was fantastic. I really liked it. Thanks. I, I didn't feel that way when I was editing it. I was like, how the hell am I going to tell this story of us killing this poor goat that was just trying to get a nap? Like that's kind of went through my mind. I was like, well, it's a really interesting story. And, and, um, you know, I talked about it with Keith a little bit on that last episode. Maybe one of the parts that's, that I find most fascinating is that you cut your teeth, you know, taking photos of animals in protected areas. Yeah. And, and then, this video that's some some really fantastic work is documenting a hunt and i feel like it's it's a we live in kind of a strange world right now where hunting is not really in fashion per se right. among certain parts of the population and yet you know i grew up half of the year eating elk meat because it was you know we would we would hunt and we would have the freezer would be stocked and we didn't eat beef you know all winter long it was all elk and i grew up around that so it's kind of an interesting thing to think about hunting is a normal part it's not it's not a destructive thing um in terms of our relationship with animals necessarily and even that story is a really interesting story because it it speaks to conservation and it speaks to um management and stewardship of, of natural resources. Right. That's the key word is the stewardship of it all. And I think that's where the big disconnect is with people that go to the grocery store to buy meat and people forget that like a hundred years ago, there wasn't grocery stores. Like, you know, like you had right. to go hunt for your food. Like if you wanted a steak, you had to go either buy it from the market because there was market hunters, which is what completely decimated most of the animals in America. Right. Like almost everything was gone. Like oh, pretty much everything was gone by the, by the turn of the 19th century there. Yeah. And yeah, because market hunting was just it. That's how we got meat on people's tables. And then right. eventually it turned into 
like Chicago was one of the very first big stockyards, you know, back right. in like the early 1900s. So they, they started figuring that whole thing out. So I had like, when I got called to do this job, I was, I had to take a step back and be like, all right, like, why, like, mm-hmm. why am I going to do this? Like, I know like, yeah, yeah I want to go in the backcountry and film. Like that was my big thing. It was like, I just want to go film animals being animals. And when I got asked to do this one thing, I was like, oh man, like, cause I follow a lot of wildlife photographers in the Tetons and they photograph these, these billy goats all the time. So yeah. like, I already, like, I know that billy goat that I'm looking at is probably going to die one day yeah, from a bullet or God knows what. Um, so you know what though, before mm-hmm. you go too far, give some context because I, though I mentioned it in the last podcast episode, tell it us, tell us what it is you were filming. Okay. So a, there's a long line to this one. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So I, I previously got employed by a um, by a man who was a Marine Corps sniper back in March 2020. And I, I worked with him for three months straight. And we developed a really, really good relationship. Months later, his buddy um, works at Recoil Magazine, Recoil TV, if you will. That's the yeah. website. And he's the chief editor there. And that guy, the chief editor, Ian, he got an email or, you know, he got a new uh, newsletter from the state of Wyoming um, saying, hey, we need volunteers to come do this goat culling. They're a invasive uh, species that are hurting the native uh, sheep population. Right. Spreading pneumonia, eating their winter grays, the whole thing. Right. So naturally, you know, that's that's a problem. And Wyoming actually started shooting them from helicopters. Right. And, and the governor was like, let's not do that. That's, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> like, let's just open it up to hunters. They can go in there. They can keep the meat if they want the, the head and the, the, and the skin has to stay though. No trophies. You can't, you cannot, can't take trophies, just the right. meat. That's all you can get. So he uh, puts his bid in for it and then he doesn't get it. And then I think it was like a few weeks later, they uh, re-emailed him. They're like, Hey, so like a few people dropped out. Do you want it again? He's like, of course I do. Yeah. And um, so you also had to self-certify that you can actually go and get into the backcountry there, which is very brutal. Like we're talking yeah. 11,000 feet. I think every day we hiked something like maybe seven to 12 miles, gaining thousands of feet a day. Like it was pretty rough. And it was pretty legit. I was watching it and thinking, yeah. he's, he's hiking along with these guys and yeah. I know he's carrying some stupidly long lens. So. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get into that. We'll get into that part in a minute. Yeah. It sucked. Um, but yeah, so he agreed to it and he, he put his team together and Ian is a former British Royal Marine. Um, so he, he's very well versed when it comes to, you know, suffering and being outdoors like that. And, uh, so is my buddy who's, uh, you know, a Marine recon sniper. He can mm-hmm. suffer very well as well. Um, uh, we even brought one other, one other guy, Jordan, I love this dude so much. He's also uh, a Marine infantryman. So again, another man, you know, used to just suffering basically. And, right. and little of me, like, you know, I'm just a guy from the suburbs and I just love, I just love that, that exercise almost just the exercise of being so uncomfortable that once you're done doing it, you look back, you're like, oh, I'm so glad I did this thing. That's awesome. And um, so like they, uh, all three of them, they were all a collective team. And then, um, this last trip when I was in Yakima a few days ago with uh, Kalen, the uh, recon sniper, he uh, was telling me that he was twisting Ian's arm to film it. And and it, it was really just, it was teetering on that okay from Ian if I was going to go or not. And then all of a sudden Ian was like, yeah, go ahead, tell him like, 
he can come with. And then that's when Kalen hit me up. I'm like, what is like, what? I get to go do this thing that I've always wanted to go do. Like, this is crazy. So, and that's when I had to really think about, I was like, all right, man, like, like, this is like, you're might lose some friends over this one. You know, you're like, you might piss some people off about this and stuff like that. But then I had to look back at it like, well, I got into wildlife photography to tell the story of wildlife, even if that means having to go kill wildlife for the sake of other wildlife. Sure. And, you know, I ultimately, I, I made the choice of doing that because I knew when I would be in the Tetons, I would run into other animals and I can yeah. involve them into the story and show them as well, which I got really lucky. I was able to film um, a bear twice, uh, one at really close proximity and uh, and once when he was walking up, kind of following us almost on this ridge. So that was kind of cool. And, you know, ran to a grouse, ran to a bunch of uh, mule deer that were at camp. And I saw a pine marten, like so much like wow. a diversity of animals out there, pika everywhere, like just really cool stuff. And um, so, yeah, I just said yes. And, you know, just I took the drive out there and we basically camped out um, deep into the ba- uh, paintbrush canyon um, for, I think, five, like six days. I think we spent out there. It was a good amount of time. Yeah. And uh, it was just pretty much all off trail like hiking and just a lot of glassing, a lot of climbing up to the tops of ridges that, you know, no one ever goes to just super, super brutal stuff. A lot of boulder hopping and just, you know, lugging all this gear around as well. Like it was, right, right, right. it's just part of the, part of the gig, I guess. So the, the um, a couple things, I mean, first of all, I think it's important. And I, I don't know if, it, I don't know if you, I've listened to you on another podcast, so I don't know if it was, the, if it was you talking on another podcast or if it was in the film itself, but is the area you were at, was it in the national park? Yes. Okay. There and was I think, like height, there was like visitors and stuff watching us carry rifles. Yeah. So this is, and this is an important kind of piece of context to all of this. I, um, I have taken a, a serious, I've gotten really interested lately over the last couple of years in the idea of public lands and what the mandate looks like from a federal level for both the national parks, uh, department, but also, um, the, you know, the divisions of, of, um, of the States that manage the national forests and and monuments. And it's interesting because the kind of the mandate for why they said, Hey, we, we need to call these animals is because, the mandate from for national parks is to maintain the wildness of the area, including the environment and, and all the animals, all the wildlife and all the flora and fauna that live there. And so if we do things that screw that up, we're responsible for helping to maintain balance. And that's kind of how the national park does that. That's sort of their, their calling which is an interesting way to think like, Hey, well, why do these goats have to be picked off? Well, <laughs> because they're not naturally there and they very likely are there because of things we did. So it's kind of an yeah. interesting, uh, interesting conundrum to be in. It's, it's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow for some folks that are really against these things. But when you tell them that their ancestors back in the thirties dropped them off there for the sake of who knows what, that's 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 the that's where the problem started people so what has the pushback 
What um, has the pushback been like? I mean, you mentioned like you thought, hey, people might not be happy about this. Did you did that happen? No, actually, shockingly, like nice. walking on the trails, all these folks were like, so like when we got to the trailheads, like we were like in Grand Teton National Park, like we're the right there with everyone else, except we have packs on. And these guys got rifles right. and there's signs everywhere that says there will be a goat calling. You'll see men with rifles. We had these big signs, which I still have. It says uh, a certified like national park volunteer or something. Yeah. So that all that stuff's on our backs. So that way people like know that we're supposed to be here and people would stop us and, and talk to us and be like, so what are you guys doing? You're like, well, <laughs> these things are not supposed to be here. And we came in as volunteers to eradicate them so you can keep enjoying this national park and the animals that are supposed to be here. Yeah. And a lot of them were like, cool, like no problem. And I imagine the folks that wanted to say something, I feel like they just walked by because you have three giant men <laughs> with rifles. <laughs> like, right. you're like you're not going to tell them like, all right, listen here, you shouldn't be doing this. Like, cause they're right. just gonna like, you know, like they're, they're the kind of guys you don't want to do that to. Right, right, right. So uh, it totally makes sense. Well, I think that's I think that's great. I I I find it a very interesting story, uh, because I, at times I feel like I feel like I have this kind of you know this dichotomy between how I grew up. I grew up in a tiny town here in Oregon, um, you know, twenty seven hundred people, and my wow. graduating class was like eighty three people. I, like if somebody goes, "Hey, I'm from Myrtle Point," if they if they say, I know somebody from Myrtle Point, I'm like, well, who are they? Because I know them. It's, you know, it's that small of a town. Um, yeah. And I've been gone long enough that I don't, that's not true anymore. But, um, you know, you, you, you get used to that and you realize that this is a livelihood and it's a way of life for people. And so the idea of hunting is just not that abnormal for a lot of people. And yet in the photography, Instagram um, you know, especially the landscape photography side of things, it is a little bit of something we don't talk about that much. So kind of, kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like, do you, do you ever heard of uh, Steve Ranella? Oh yeah. He has a show called meat eater. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he puts it, he has a really, really great like way of communicating why we should hunt. And when people Asked, there's a really famous uh, YouTube clip. I don't remember how it goes all the way, but this one man asked him like, 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 why are we like, why should you be doing this or whatever? And he gave him the, the greatest rebuttal. I urge everyone to go on YouTube and just try to find that because Steve is just really, really good with words. And his big thing that always stuck with me is like, we've, we've been hunting since the dawn of man and we only recently stopped now. And it's like, holy cow, like how abrupt of the stop it was to the point where everyone's just condemns hunting, but yet they still go to the store. They'll still go to McDonald's. They'll still right. do all these things. And, you know, Which like I, we can talk, we can, ways, yeah. the infrastructure underneath, um, mass produced meat is far more, uh, cruel, destructive, unnatural by, by far. And I, I think yeah. more people are coming back to hunting again. I think it's, yeah. it's, it's really picking back up. I'm getting into it. I'm going to do a hunt bus kind of thing and live on public land, hunt on public land and just like survive on public land. Like I want to, I right. want to be just like my ancestor, native Americans and just live off my land, which would be so yeah. cool. So yeah, I'm I trying to it. tell that story eventually, hopefully next elk season, that'd be kind of cool. Um, but yeah, it, it's a, 
we can talk about like the hunting and why it's good or bad forever. And it's just one of those things like everyone's just going to have their opinion. I just leave it there. I'm like, cool, have your opinion. I don't care. I got mine. I'm going to live with mine. I'm going to do what I think is best, you know, for my opinion and for um, nature because I live in it probably more than the person who's yelling at me about it. Yeah. Um, You mentioned Steve Ranella and one of my favorite, um, I want to, I'm pretty sure it's him, his podcast. Um, he interviewed, uh, Yvonne Chouinard, the founder oh, of Patagonia. Yes. I very, know what, very, I know the one you exactly you're it's talking about. It's a great about. episode, right? Great episode. They talk about um, bison meat and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. And I think, I think the connection was, uh, Patagonia provisions, yeah. which they, they, they have, they have a whole line of food that they, you know, and it's everything from wild ca- caught, uh, salmon to, uh, bison jerky and, yeah all kinds of crazy stuff. Right. Uh, but it was a really interesting episode because, um, you know, there's a reason Patagonia, I think gets this, they get this bum rap as being kind of, you know, Patagucci, uh, you know, if you've heard that before, uh, yeah. because it's, yeah. because it's, you know, it's a little higher price and it becomes kind of a status symbol, but J- Yvonne Chouinard is such a, a forerunner and, and such a visionary in the industry that he, he is dabbling in all kinds of things to say, okay, how do we, how can we do life as humans better on the planet? And I think that even, even the way he yeah. approaches food, you know, you, you think, oh yeah, Patagonia, why are they talking about food? <laughs> well, he got into it because he's like, I think there's a better way. There's a better way to do some of this stuff, to source some of this stuff um, ethically and sustainably and to do it the same way that we do our clothes, you know, to, to say, how do we, how can we, reduce our, our, you know, things like our carbon footprint. How do we reduce our output on the land and, and create things that are more sustainable? So a pretty cool episode with him. Um, yeah. I like, I, I love that man for it too. Like we need more dudes like him that are just, you know, kind of aware of what's really going on and like, let's do something about it. Yeah. Well, and there's, it's funny. Cause I, I think I've, I've, you know, been talking with photographers on this podcast, but I don't know. We've really talked about, um, the ethics of why you would choose products, but I am a diehard Patagonia fan. And it's not even because their stuff is always the best. It fundamentally comes down to the idea that I know what they stand for as a company. And I know that when I spend my money there, I know that it's not going to things that I find unethical. Correct. I just, I, yeah. you know, I, I know that it's, I know that it's, uh, funding, uh, contributions to things I believe in. I know it's funding the lifestyle and, and careers of people that are doing things for the right reasons. So mm-hmm. that's one of those things. It's a fairly easy decision for me to go, okay, I will continue to support them any way I can. Fully agree with you. If I got yeah. enough money, I'm buying Patagonia stuff. Well, I, uh, here's a little tip. I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever, picked this up yet, but Patagonia has a, a used gear thing that's called Warnware. Hmm, no. They actually they actually sell used Patagonia gear. And if, if you're on their website and you click down at the bottom of things, it says, uh, look, look through used gear. And they have a whole section where, um, and you can trade in gear too and get credit for it. Yeah. So when you trade in gear, they refurbish and clean it up and then you can buy used gear. And so I actually had two different pieces of Patagonia gear show up in the last month or so that are both things I bought from the Warware store. 
Heck yeah, so, I'm gonna have to check that out now. Dang, I yeah, spent yeah. all my money. <laughs> keeps well, keeps the thing I like about it is it also say you when you buy it like that, it keeps one more from being made. Which oh, is, that's that's pretty cool. I like that. That's a huge deal. I yeah. like that a lot. So, actually, I like it, and I make sure that 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 I trade in stuff when I can too. Uh, yeah. So, okay. So I want to I want to switch gears a little bit. So you came from Chicago, and you've and you have been. And you kind of told the story about like how you ended up on the road doing, doing all this stuff. What was your, what was the, what was your life like growing up? Um, was this a totally urban sort of a, sort of a growing up, um, or were you just there for a little while? What's, what's the, what's the background there? Uh, I was definitely born and raised in uh, Chicago and in the suburbs, um, but I grew up being an outdoorsman, basically. My uh, my father, before he passed when I was about six, he, he took me fishing quite a bit. I remember, actually, I do have memories of us fishing together in a boat, going into the woods. And um, and after he passed, my grandpa kind of picked up that torch and he would take me fishing, took me out in the woods, kind of, he didn't like really show me a lot of stuff because he's kind of a grumpy old man. But like, <laughs> at least he like, he lived in the country. He built his own homes. You know, he was kind of yeah. like that man's man. And, and I would just, I would always just be hanging out in nature like my entire life. And, and hilariously, we're just talking about like beef earlier. My, my dad's sister, my aunt, she had a dairy farm and now has oh, a yeah. beef, a beef farm. So I grew okay. up on a farm pretty much, you know, all yeah. my summers of most of my childhood life, just run around like kicking cow patties, you know, and just run through the woods, jumping in rivers, like just, being a free kid and it's no surprise that I'm doing that now, but like, you know, I'm an adult, which I now can just still be a kid living in a bus right, wearing right. some silly sweatshirt, you know, doing whatever I want kind of thing. So yeah, just growing up like that and being so lucky that the Chicago suburbs had so much nature. It blew my mind. Like thinking about it now, I'm like, wow, we had, there's lakes everywhere. Like I turned to fishing quite a bit. I was a hardcore fisherman. I was even trying to be a professional bass fisherman once in my life. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was just like, I would, you put me on any leg, I would find where those fish were every single time. And so I just grew up outside at all times. Like I would ditch school to go fishing. Like that's, that's, (laughs) I did that constantly. And, you know, and then just from the evolution of like fishing and getting into like, you know, finally I got a car and then the car took me to other places in Illinois that were like really, remote kind i guess you can call it remote ish (laughs) um but we have like a driftless area where it's really hilly so i'd go explore like just kind of my state and then that led into like bicycle touring so i got like i got a road bike and i would uh, outfit it with camping gear and i would just go you know do like a a three four hundred mile bike ride like across four days across a couple states and just like just really like delve into nature as much as i could and then, you know, then I got a Then I got like a job job and I was like, oh, like, well, the party is over and like this sucks. But like, I understand. What I kind need. of work did you do? I was a uh, professional mechanic for 12 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, while doing that, at the same time, I was also a audio engineer for a decade where I recorded, I think, over 60 different bands. And uh, <laughs> I had one famous person in my studio and um wrote music for a couple commercials. I did sound design for a couple little movies and stuff like that. Um, but that all that kind of ended around like 2000, 
I hear bus noises. 18. Yeah, my friend just <laughs> walked out. <laughs> I love it. No, it's perfect. It's we got to have that here. It's a squeaky bus. <laughs> it sounded like it, what well, sounded like a screen door, you know? Oh, but, well, uh, it's just a big latch door. I got to grease yeah. that thing up. It's really annoying. Yeah, just th- think about getting on the bus uh, when you're a kid. That's the. That's every day of my life. <laughs> that's what that sound is. <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, so, yeah, like the mechanic thing, like actually, that's. Luckily, like within that, when I was 27, I'm 34 right now. So when I was 27, I actually quit my job at the shop and I started my own business, which this is like now the steps to gaining confidence to ultimately living the way I'm living because yeah. the way I'm living terrifies most people. Right. right. Um, but like quitting my job when I was 27, I had a mentor who helped me start my own business, which was uh, me being a mobile mechanic. And okay. I would go to people's homes and offices and fix their cars there. And and the trick was I had to help him run his business and he was a window washer. So I actually ended up becoming a professional window washer for oh, wow. three years while running my business. You know, right, like, we talking, we talking like uh short buildings. We talking about uh, two stories. Okay. Sometimes okay. Yeah, it was luckily it was, um, it was a bank. It was a structure of banks. There was 36 of them in the, in the, uh, in the suburbs. It was only yeah. like that that suburbs bank, that bank exists nowhere else. Yeah, yeah. So he had that whole account. So I would do all those banks in like a month and it sucked and I hated it, but <laughs> man, did I learn some discipline <laughs> and, yeah. uh, but because of him, you know, like I was able to make money with him and, and start my business and really start to learn how to like really become my own person and become a man and like make my own money. Right. And, uh, without that, I don't think I'd be doing what I am doing right now because essentially I had to learn to be a businessman. I had to learn how to be an entrepreneur. I had to learn how to quote unquote hustle. And, you know, because of those things, like it just gave me the skills and the power and the courage to ultimately just leave everything behind me. Like I, I own a house and I'm like, see ya <laughs> like later. And I just take off in my little Honda element, you know, thinking I'm going to go be this big badass, uh, you know, like art wolf fucking guy. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I, if I could go photograph with him, like life would be over. That'd be kind of cool. Um, right. <laughs> but yeah, so like, you know, my life really, everything was just a stepping stone to what it is right now. Like it's, it's again, it, like most of my family is like, oh, it's no surprise. Brian's living in a school bus, just doing whatever he wants. Cause that's what he always did. He just did whatever he wanted to do. And I was, you know, I was the black sheep of the family, which in reality, I, I was just, I was just me. I was just being myself. And, and obviously that, you know, made me different from everybody else because you know how that works. Because normal people don't live in school buses. No, <laughs> but now okay, it's so, popular. So, what the yeah, hell? Yeah. so, okay. So in our current Instagram world and, and YouTube world, there's this, you know, there's this kind of hashtag van life there's this you know these different kinds of movements along these lines with people who live in buses living in vans living in you know freightliner uh sprinter vans all of the honda elements honda (laughs) elements yes there's a huge cult of honda element owners yeah what i i think i mentioned when you and i were chatting um a couple weeks ago that i have got i've got a friend that lives um, she has a normal job and she's just like a total outdoors woman and she lives in her uh, Nissan Xterra. Boom. There you go. Which is, seems a little small, but man, she yeah. gets it done. It's um, rough, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So all of that, I think the question that it seems like always comes up is how do you afford to do that? How are you able to live a life on the road 
and have that work. Um, you know, you've talked about having a previous career that you, that you left. Yeah. You've talked about having, you know, spending 12 years as a mechanic and, and, and having a career as a window washer and doing all these things, re- being a recording engineer. What, what does it look like now? How do you, how you, how are you supporting yourself? I mean, you've, you've mentioned already who you work for, but yeah. I'd love to know if you don't mind sharing, what does that look like? You know, kind of nuts and bolts. Um, well, like for a great example, tomorrow I have to go do a tour on this lady who lives in a van. She makes jewelry for a living. Okay. That's her life. So every day it's, it's pretty much just working for tiny home tours. And there's, there's, there's a plethora of folks that are living in rigs now. And they, and some of these folks are like, you'd walk into the rig and be like, wow, this is nicer than some homes. Right. It's pretty incredible. So there's, there's, you know, there's not a lack of people to film, which is really nice. Right. Um, but at the same time, like I can't necessarily always rely on this job. So that's back. This is where recoil TV comes back in. Yeah. And this is where they, they're always offering me, uh, you know, a, a job or, uh, another gig to do. And like today I just got an email to go do a night hunt with, with night vision and stuff in oh, San nice. Antonio, Texas. So it's like, Whoa, like that sounds pretty cool. But, like, um, yeah, <laughs> right. Like two days hanging out with like, you know, some military dudes just like shooting pigs in the night like that. I'll film that. That's no problem with me. Right. Um, but now it's like, I'm so wrapped into tiny home tours and like, um, the, the Chris, the owner, he's, he's made me his head videographer now. So I have this responsibility of hiring new videographers and stuff like that. Cause we're about to create this kind of like TV show thing where now I'm going to be this person that has to follow this other person around for a couple of weeks and make a TV show. Like right. we are going to show off what this life is like and how they make money. So like that way more people can see, like you're asking like how we make money on here. And and it's like, like there's just the same way anyone would make money to be honest. This is how we're kind of doing it as well. Um, and just luckily for me, my job is to just go and film people in their rigs. And yeah. then once in a while, go film a hunt. And then, um, and to be honest, that's, it's kind of all I'm doing right now. Like no, I'm, just doing those, I'm just doing those two things and I don't want really to do that much more. <laughs> right. Well, that seems like that'd be enough to keep you busy. Yeah. Um, very busy. The tiny homes, is, are they lining those up or is this something where they go, Hey, here's a person, um, connect with them at some point or, or, or they go on, Hey, you need to be in, uh, you know, you need to be in Arizona on this date to meet this person. So here's the beauty in that is like, we have a lot of videographers on our team and no one is obligated to do anything. Okay. Um, the, the whole thing when I first started was like, Hey, I'm going to be here, here, here. Let me know if there's anyone I can film. And, right. uh, Allie would then text me back and she'd be like, or she would, she would, uh, group chat us into Instagram. So I would talk to them on Instagram. I'd see where they're located. And when I was up in the Pacific Northwest living out of Bend, I would film people like in Seattle, um, all around like Rainier, all around. I did a, a couple in Portland as well along the mm-hmm. coast. Like, and these are places that I wanted to travel to. Right. And luckily because of that and you know, letting them know where I was, you'd be like, cool, we have plenty of people to film where you're going. So I was like, yeah. awesome. Like what this job is incredible. <laughs> like they're not well, it's telling become more me what popular to do. lately. Yeah. Which yeah, it's very popular. And you know, there's only like a handful of these channels that, you know, actually have a lot of subscribers and I think we're, we're tapping out the, on the door of almost 700,000 subscribers right now. We're trying. Uh Yeah. And, uh, my buddy Sage, the editor, 
Um, oh, he'd be a good one to have on Sage yeah. and my friend Whitney Whitehouse as well. Okay, they, I've been they, following uh, Whitney for a, a while. I just filmed her tiny home the other oh, day. Nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, she has, a, she has like, a van, really right? Friends. Yeah, she has a GMC Vandura. I, I remember watching her um, when she had some mechanical trouble after. I think not not too long yeah. after she got it. Exactly. Yep. And she brought that up in the tour and stuff like that. And, you know, like now we're like really good friends. So like, she'd be stoked to be on here. I'm sure. I think oh, I actually cool. brought, I think I told her she should be on your, on your podcast. Okay, well, anyways. I'll have to talk with her. She, yeah. there's another guy, there's a, there's a, um, a photographer in Bend that I photographed that I'm pretty sure. Um, I'm pretty sure. I, I can't imagine they wouldn't be friends cause he's real connected with, um, the uh, Ben's travel agency that uh, okay yeah they board. gotta be buddies then uh, Rich Bacon is his name and I have Rich no idea who he is pro- but... probably like the fourth fifth episode he's fantastic sweet so I'm I'm sure they know each other he's he's a another Bend uh, local with a with a with a dog and a baby and he does a bunch of work with Hydroflask oh, okay well. yeah that yeah. makes sense he's kind of he's kind of one of their main he's their kind of their guy their, their makes sense guy. yeah I saw the actual headquarters there I was like oh that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Right here. no, it's really cool. I always have one here. So, nice. um, that, that's, that's awesome. There's a, you know, um, there's another person that I interviewed over the summer when he was touring the whole U S, um, for backpacker magazine. Wow. Um, uh, him and his, um, actually a couple, um, Steve Yoakum and he built his own bus conversion in North Carolina. Dang. And it is a big giant full-size uh, pusher bus and it's man it's awesome. He and, they have a wood stove. They've got yep. it's decked out. So I'll have to connect you with him cuz Heck yeah. That will be a uh, that be a hell of a, a tour. It's I love those big those big buses are co- just like wow man you like you did it. <laughs> well they're trying to work out they have a they have a, some land in North Carolina and they're kind of like up in the hills, even further up in the hills past Asheville, which is a okay. you know, pretty popular area. Yeah. But I know I was talking to him about it. And he's like, yeah, we, we really want to get out on the road in this bus, but we got to like work out all the logistics because it's a big bus like that is not, it's no joke. Yeah. You can't and just pull into like a Wendy's parking lot or something. Exactly. Exactly. But he's, um, they, they, um, I interviewed them in person here at, just outside of Portland up by Mount hood when they were touring the whole country for backpacker. Um, doing interviews at outdoor retail stores. And hmm. so he's a, uh, they lived in the on the road, but they were living, you know, in the back of his uh, Toyota Tacoma. Like that's just cool with, with two German shepherds. That's even better. <laughs> so and his girlfriend and two dogs. Um, but yeah, be, it, he'd be a cool person. I should introduce you to. I don't know. I think it'd be a great fit. Um, no, that's cool. So how did you, you, I mean, you talked a little bit, you talked about all of this wildlife photography. At what point did video become a thing that you figured out you really that you really liked? Like, how did you kind of start shifting that direction? Um, that had been right when I got the gig with um, Modern Day Sniper back in March 2020, and I actually got them first as a podcast client, and then I went onto their website and he did backcountry hunting courses. I was yeah. like, oh, cool! Like, I should let him know that I do like photo and video, even though I wasn't really like. I didn't really do video, but I knew how to do video. I knew the that's fundamentals. That's kind of how it goes. That's exactly. That's, like, yeah, that's kind of how all we all get into. We're right. like, oh yeah, I can do motion. That's the same. Yeah, gear. it's pretty close. <laughs> you just shut your shutter at fifty and call it good. Um, but yeah, it turned into that, and just like he, 
like he just needed someone to do the work because he just didn't have time. And, you know, like I knew how to technically do the work and we just kind of figured it out together. And that's all that's that's where I cut my teeth on video was with him. And we basically created master classes for his long range shooting um, like videos that um, you can go purchase on his website at moderndaysniper.com. And and because of that, we talked a lot about like hunting and being outside and we would go outside and we'd do things. And uh, there's this other gentleman named Donnie Vincent. He's um, he makes these incredible cinematic masterpieces of hunting. And, you know, through knowing Kalen, like I got a chance to get hired by Donnie Vincent to come back to Yakima and film the both of them doing stuff. So, you know, at the same time with getting all these gigs and starting my video career, it's kind of like my video career just like literally took off out of nowhere for who knows what reason, you know, like first it's modern day sniper. Then I go film at American rifle company and then it's Donnie Vincent. And all of a sudden it's recoil TV all at one time. And I used to sit back and watch people get all these gigs and be like, Oh, must be nice. Like they're getting all these crazy gigs out of nowhere. And now I understand how much work that actually took to get there because I had to do an insane amount of work and insane amount of dedication. I had to be, very scared a lot because I had to go like live with this guy for three months. I didn't know. And just like all these things to really, you know, gain, like just get my foot in that door basically. Yeah. So well, it's the kind of thing you're not doing. If you, uh, if you, if you're not willing to put yourself in an uncomfortable, new, unique situation, it's not going to happen. Exactly. And and like, it's, it's been a year to the day. I was just in Yakima celebrating with Kalen our whole one year of putting modern day sniper in the digital space actually did a podcast with them too. If, um, if you go to their podcast, modern day sniper podcast, you can hear my whole story again, if you want to. Um, uh, so, but yeah, like it's just been a year of me, you know, running my camera and I have barely taken photos, which is crazy. But then after listening to that podcast that you did with Keith, I was like, Oh man, I like, I totally forgot how much I love wildlife photography. Like I totally forgot. Yeah. And then um this so now this year I'm gonna try and really invest more time into doing that while doing my tiny home tour stuff. But like just no, I think that's great. Just taking yeah, just taking a little bit more time. And yeah, hunting's hunting, like you know, going on elk hunts is fun. You run to other animals and stuff, but that's like a job. I want to be able to just go to the national forest and just walk out there, camp out there with the sole mission of just like finding this one specific animal. Right. No, I think that's that's fantastic. Well, and, and it's interesting too. I'll link the video, the, uh, the gold coal. Cause I think it's a fantastic, uh, representation of your work, but I think it's, it's for anybody who's listening to, you just said it's been a year since you really started doing that. And the quality of that film, uh, I would have never, well, first of all, I would never guess it was a solo photographer, you know, a solo shooter making that work. But second of all, there's just a, there's a, um, there's a maturity to it, uh, for the work. And mm. I, I think it's cool. And I think it's an encouragement for not just you, but for anybody listening to go, Hey, like if you dive in and you start trying to learn this stuff, you can make really good quality work and it, you don't have to cut your teeth for 10 years to make compelling storytelling work. Right. Yeah. I honestly, like I'm the kind of person that gets obsessed with things. And I think that's, kind of what you need to really accelerate as fast as I did because I would just watch YouTube videos every single night of how to get the best 
exposure mm-hmm. from my EOSR humanly yeah. possible. And that's yeah. just from using like a log like profile and you know, the right ND filter with a polarizer, which is what I was using. I, I basically had a EOSR. I had my 24 to 105 F4 all the way through with the, had a um, six, was a, the N16. I don't even know what those things are. I just know I needed that one. Threw that on there with the polarizer so you can, you know, really get that sky to look really nice and the reflections from the water and whatever else. And then I also brought a uh, Sigma 150 to 600. That's so that's the big reach, and the 4K on that camera has a crop. So I was really getting a thousand millimeters when you saw that goat. Yeah. And then, um, and, this, and a handful of shots were actually the Osmo Pocket, and okay. the shot that when you saw Kalen, that's the guy who, um, modern day sniper who took the shot. Right. Um, that whole that whole landscape shot was my iPhone. Wow, <laughs> which was like, wow, that looked really good <laughs> out there. Yep. And, uh, so like, and that goes back to just like using the tools that you have. Like I just brought those three things with me. I brought a a 28 watt solar panel and, um, a battery bank and just my USB battery chargers. So I brought like not a lot of camera gear to do this one thing. It was more like, I just ran ahead of these guys, like literally dying because we're at elevation, but I needed to, because they weren't going to stop for me. These are the kind of guys like. And this is where I'm really glad I work with these fellas because they like they make me have to hustle. I have to stay one step ahead of them because they're not going to stop for the shot because they want it to be as authentic as possible, which I think translated well into the video. Yeah. So a lot of those shots that you saw was literally me having to run like way past them and set the shot up and they just kept going. I was like, oh, my God, I have to nail this. And this goes back to being like obsessive with like the fundamentals of like I had to make sure like all my settings were right for that like certain shot before they even got there. And like, right. I had to make sure everything was good. And you know, it's just, it's, it's the run and gun. And I, I love yeah. the run and gun aspect of it. Well, you get to have that in common with wedding photographers. Just, it only yeah. happens once, right? Exactly. And I've, can't, I've done a couple of weddings. They moments. suck. I hate weddings. <laughs> I'll never do it again. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's a, that's pretty cool to, to put it in kind of those terms to think about this idea that it is good because there's no do-overs because you're documenting real stuff that's actually happening yes yeah it's it's like yeah you only get one chance of nailing it and you better do it right and yeah that's the there's a um there's a documentary behind the scenes um thing that i was watching recently and it was i want to say it was with chris burkhard um and he was talking about filming. Oh, I know what it was. He was, he did a documentary film about bike packing a, across the middle of Iceland. What? How did I not know about this? I was obsessed yeah, with bikepacking. Yeah. So what well, just came out? Um, okay. That makes sense. And I can't remember what it's called. Um, a line. It's like a line through it or something like that. Um, hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll link I have it to look it up notes. now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he basically went and did a bike pack tour not a tour but a bike pack across the interior of iceland wow and he's he's also done a all the way around the outside um and that was a race but the one across the middle was like with a crew that was just like a bunch of hardcore bike packers and they all did this thing and he was talking about how so often we get caught up in these ideas of like oh i gotta have the big big cinema camera and i've got to have the yeah all this stuff. And he's like, most of what we filmed on this thing was shot with a Sony ZV one, right? Which is like 
the RX100 with the flip up screen. It's yeah, it's the vlog vlogging. camera. Yeah, it's yeah. a vlog camera. It's not even he was like good. <laughs> and he was talking about how he used one of those. They had, they had them tucked in all their pockets. Mm -hmm. And then they also were using a, a Sony Xperia uh, phone. Wow. That has a Zeiss lens on it. Man, and see, like that kind of really tells you because you are, first off, that place has amazing lighting at all times. Yeah. Like, a, if you have good lighting, you can use a potato and it'll look good, like for sure. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and I feel like a lot of people do get really caught up in gear, and I and it's usually the beginners that get caught up so much in the gear. They need to get the best camera, the best lens, the best f stop. They need to like figure all these crazy things out. I'm like, hey, like at this point in my career, I'm actually like using the lowest settings almost possible on my camera. Because I need, because I'm filming so much stuff, I need to even just, I need to retain as much bitrate as I can, so I'm not filling up cards with nonsense almost. And yeah. like, and it, it's interesting because I used to be like that. I used to think like I needed to have like the sharpest lens. I need this the Sigma eighteen to thirty five. Like I had that thing because you know it was the most badass lens in the world. And eventually, I kind of like I just gave it away, and I I still use my Nifty fifty for a lot of yeah. things, and it still yeah. looks really good if you know how to use it. And that's the that's the number one thing is just really, really knowing your gear really, really well. And um, and actually, a great example of that is actually Sarah. Like, I was just gonna say that. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like that camera is literally just like a it's like a it's a body part <laughs> to yeah. her. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like she can work that thing better than fucking anybody it's yeah. it's amazing like and that's all you need like you don't need well, much more one of the things i really love about her work is that she since i've first met her she was shooting with i think she had like a sony a7r2 and she had the 55 and that was like what she had and then yeah. on the trip where i met her her camera got ruined by ocean water Mm -hmm. And so she actually borrowed my second body. I had a, a Sony RX one, it's a full frame compact and I let her borrow that the rest of the trip. And then when I got in touch with her again and I was like, Hey, I want to report record this podcast. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to be in Oregon. And I was like, okay, we're going to record this in person. And she shows up with an a seven R two and a 50 and the Sony 55 <laughs> same kit. And I've been watching, she doesn't share it as much in her normal feed, but she shares it in her stories all the time. Yeah. And it's just the most, amazing you know b-roll style footage yes yeah and then i um she came when she was up visiting i let her borrow one of my lenses and she uh she's like oh this is so amazing and then i when i was looking to sell it and i was like hey I, you're a friend i you know are you interested and so i actually sold her my uh, zeiss baddest 25 millimeter oh that's her favorite thing yeah and as, so, as soon as i started seeing it show up in her stories i was like i recognize that view yeah. <laughs> that field of view <laughs> Because uh, it's an amazing lens, it has it has a so, such a specific look. Yeah, um, like, but yeah, she, watching, she, watching her run a camera is pretty pretty inspiring. Yeah, well, and this is why um, I this part of the reason why you and I got in touch is because I recruited Sarah and I was like, hey, I'm doing a, a documentary project and I want you to be involved if you can. Um, and she's like, okay. And then she's like, hey, you need to be, meet Brian. So my, part of the reason I reached out to her in the first place is because I love her viewpoint. I love the way she, um, the angles, the way that she captures motion. And I, it's and so just, different. It's like, again, like, it, like I always tell her, like you constantly inspire me. It's so insane. Like how you view life. And I think it's so unique and it's very, it's like, there's no other person in my opinion, looking at it. Like she is in yeah. that sense. Like it's yeah. so cool. So if you're not already following, 
Sarah Williams, you should be. Um, just, yeah, you're messing up. I'm putting it out there in the middle of this thing. Um, and there's a there's an episode of her on this podcast. So go look her up. That's that's um, that's your anybody else who's listening's homework. Oh, for sure, totally. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's cool. Um, so uh, and that's one of those things that uh, you know. Hopefully, you and I get a chance. I'm going to be working on a project, and I'm hoping to rope you into this thing Dude, this please. year at some point. But um, what's the uh, what is the future? You know what what is, I know that the very lifestyle that you've chosen, the things you're involved in kind of preclude too much uh, advanced planning, but I'm yeah. curious what your, what is the, what is the next year hold for you? What do you, what are you hoping to do? I guess maybe a better way to put it. All right. That's um, so what I'm, what I am hoping to do is, is actually to be honest, I, I want, I want to help tiny home tours grow a lot and because that just keeps giving me the freedom to keep traveling as much as I do. And then at the same time, I I really want to do more backcountry films and I have a documentary idea of my own. Okay. That I, I would like to eventually start doing maybe this year. Um, but I am kind of waiting to purchase a cinema camera to do so. Cause I end up, I'm going to end up wanting to shop it to like Hulu or Netflix or someone. Yeah. Um, but there's a few things this year, like there's this uh, modern day sniper has uh, this this man named Cody. He's a uh, jack of all trades kind of guy. And they uh, he does like wilderness survival courses and okay. they want to do one in Colorado and Hawaii. So I'm like, yes, please <laughs> sign, me, sign up. me up for that. Please, 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 please. I want to go to Hawaii and film survival stuff like come on. Yeah. So there's that I really, really, really want to do um, the summertime. To be honest, I just want to chill and bend and punish myself up this little mountain called Tumlo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like two miles, 1,400 feet of gain. I would run up the thing and run down the thing as fast as I can just to get ready for hunting season in September. Yeah. And so my summertime is is really going to be me just kind of chilling out, you know, just kind of like building muscle, getting strong for the winter again. And then this summer is going to be, like I said before, the hunt bus, you know, just rig this thing out for hunting go into the back country and just show folks like, Hey, you can do this too. Like very inexpensively on public land if you want. And, you know, kind of get out there and add diversity to it as well. Considering I'm Brown. So like, you know, like okay. Just... So we haven't, nobody can see that. Oh, okay. What's, what's your background? Like, um, I, uh, so... like, I know that cause we have, we have talked and, yeah. and uh, I've been following your feed and everybody, everybody's going to see right it. Now, what's, what's your background? What's your, what's your ethnic background? So my, uh, my mom's side, my entire mom's side of the family came from Ecuador okay. and, uh, I'm the first generation born here. And then the other side of my family, my dad's side are, are pretty much, um, German and Norwegian. Okay. So, um, according to my 23 and me, I am 27% native American, um, about 14% Spanish and Portuguese and then a large amount French, German and Nordic basically. Okay. So, um, but, but the reality yeah. is there aren't I'm a whole lot of people. Skin. Yeah. There's not a lot of people that have, that are, you know, have, uh, that are shades of Brown that spend a lot of time outdoors. No. And there's actually in Oregon, there's a, uh, there's this man named Jimmy. He runs an Instagram page called uh, hunters of color. And okay. I'm actually, uh, look, we're going to be hooking up with him and doing a feature on him with uh carnivore magazine okay. with, uh, with Ian. Cause Ian, you know, is he's very much into, 
like um bringing more of like the minority out to the woods like hey like it's it's cool if we come out here like there's it's not that it's not as bad as it looks and you know like 90 i think it was like 98 percent of like tags purchased are people of european descent right which is like you know that's like crazy numbers so i'm just trying to spread awareness i'm just trying to get out there and do my thing you know and luckily i'm I'm, you know, just a couple shades darker than most people. My, my, my folks just spent more time in the sun. That's all it is. You know, we're <laughs> no different. We're still human beings. Like I don't understand this problem. Um, but it's conditioning. So like, I'm just trying to get out there and recondition the thing and just right. show folks like, Hey man, you can come out here and do this all you like. And I'm going to invite a lot of my, you know, like fellow ethnic folks and BIPOC folks to come out and be like, Let's go just hang out in the woods. Let's go hunt. Let's go like, you know, let's go get our own food. Like we can do this. Right. So that's a big thing oh, for me great. this this fall. I want to do really, really bad. And and luckily I have Recoil TV, Carnivore TV, and Modern Day Sniper to really help me make it come true. You have some built-in uh, sponsor uh, clout there, which is... I a lot of it which is it's becoming more helpful. i'm becoming very aware of it more and more it's like oh wow i got i got these i have these big boys behind me you got all, the, like, you got all these connections that's great yeah. well and that's that's the that's the key to you know making projects that, that you care about happen is get, finding other yeah. people who care about the same things exactly and and yeah like preferably those that have uh some resources <laughs> oh my god yeah and just and like and then finding folks that like really want to like do it with me, you know, like yeah. that, that are also very passionate in the outdoors. Like I want, I want to involve them as well. Like I have like my buddy Sage who works with tiny home tours with me. I, he's going to be involved in a documentary making with me. Cause he also lives in a bus, but he also lives in a Honda element and his girlfriend's van. And he has a van again. That guy's forest rich. He has got four rigs. He can live in. Like <laughs> It's pretty incredible. <laughs> so like, you know, I, I'm, I'm lucky in that manner too. Like, you know, like, and I got like Sarah and I got my friend Phil, who's a really good editor. Like, I just have this amazing team around me that I can just at any moment be like, Hey, uh, we have to go do this thing. Do you want to come bring your camera? Let's go. And yeah. most likely they're just going to say, yeah, let's fucking go. Yeah. That's so great. that's, I'm super, I'm so lucky. It's insane. There's nothing quite like having a crew that's, uh, up for anything. Seriously. So you, um, you've mentioned so many people that you care about that have really helped your career and people that have inspired you. Is there anybody from that group that you, that you think I should talk to on the podcaster? You've already mentioned a couple, but yeah, I mean, you've definitely already talked to one of the more important ones. Um, Whitney Whitehouse is definitely one I, I would for sure speak to. She's, she has a really cool outlook on life and her story is, is kind of similar to mine. Um, as to she's like she does photography for people but like she like secretly has this wildlife photography page and i think it's really really cool and i think she should really like lean into that a little bit more as well just because it's so much fun well she knows how to take pictures of animals i actually started following her dog's page long before i knew who she was (laughs) old jasper yeah (laughs) that dog is so cool i still got his fur all over my all over jazz paws right isn't that his uh instagram i think so yeah he's so cool yeah she like she's a plethora of knowledge and she's just full of life. It's so incredible. And then, uh, like my buddy Phil back in Chicago, he's just like, he's a, he's like a production cinematographer. Like, 
I did a movie with him recently in Chicago and I was just blown away by the amount of gear that he had. I was like, holy cow, dude, like he's got this giant Z cam with all this crazy stuff attached to it, you know, and he's making these 6K like things with 12 bit raw recording. I'm like, oh, my God, like this is nuts. Right. So like just diving deep into like big camera gear. What's his last name? Ortiz. Okay. His uh his Instagram I think is Motion sixty six, um, he yeah like he he's really well versed in in technical talk as well. So if you ever want like tech talk, talk to that man. He will blow you away with what he knows. Every time I talk to him, it's some new thing I'm learning. I'm like, Damn, that's cool. That's, that's cool. Super wild. Nice. Um. Yeah. So what's the um what's the best way for people to to keep an eye on what you're up to? Um, definitely on Instagram, just like everybody else. <laughs> um, you can find me there by typing in my full name, Brian Bear Butler. A, a lot of different ones will pop up. Uh, I do have my wildlife one that's Where's the Bear. And then, uh, but I'm not active on that one as much anymore. Uh, but Where's the Schoolie? We're going to change that this year. I, I'm going to really try. Like, yeah, I yeah. really want to film more animals instead of taking photos. I just want to yeah. film them in their habitat. So and I'm definitely trying that for sure. Where's the schoolie? W H E R E, the schoolie. S K O O L I E. The way the the way the kids say it. Yeah, <laughs> you spell it wrong. S K. <laughs> I like it. I, of course, I'm I am a um, a parent of teenagers, so every time I say it's not what the kids say, they go, "No, Dad, that's not what the kids say." <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. Well, cool, man. This is this has been fantastic. I. This is a, a unique episode. Um, we jumped we, around we, a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think we've talked about but a bunch like of stuff it. that I, I love. That you have such a broad range of stuff that you're that you've been involved in, and you're involved in the outdoor photography and video world in a way that's really different than most. Um, and yeah. I, I think it's a, I think that's an interesting story to tell. So as soon as I started kind of mentioning your name last week when I was talking to Keith, I was like, I need to reach out to Brian. We got to get him on here too. So <laughs> I'm just excited. We could do it this quickly. It's back to back. Well, yeah, well, I'm usually like, luckily this lifestyle offers me a lot of free time when I, when I want it, which is yeah. kind of cool. So, um, speaking of which, where are you located right now? Uh, I actually just arrived to Sedona, um, down the ricketyest road I've been down so far and everything my bus went to pieces. So I have to like clean this place up right now. <laughs> of course. But yeah. Uh, yeah the and then it's just, I'm do I'm all like, I drove from Yakima two days ago. Yeah. And now, and now I'm here. Like I'm really tired. <laughs> well, I am, I'm looking forward to at some point this year, hopefully meeting up with you out in, uh, in my favorite spot in Eastern Oregon. Oh, we will. I, I just, I mean, dude, I Make just drove happen. past it the other day. Like, yeah. And I'm going to be in Bend. So you'll have to do is just be like, hey, we're it's going to Alper. Let's go. <laughs> yep. I'm there. Cool, man. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to, to do this. Cool. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, share it with your friends, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. Also, I'm open to suggestions for interesting people to interview. So if you know of someone I should talk to, please reach out. You can reach out to me via the email link in the show notes, or you can send a message on Instagram or Facebook with the handle at GoTakePictures. New episodes are on the way soon, and if you subscribe, you'll get them as soon as they drop. But in the meantime, go take pictures. <laughs>